Hello and welcome back to the podcast, All the War They Want. Once again, my name is Carmen Brooks and I'll be hosting you this episode. With me here is Jeff Engel, who is with me on the last episode, which was the pilot. If you haven't listened to it, I would highly suggest taking time to go in and listening to his very interesting background. And joining us today is Miss Liz Nurse. Liz, welcome to the show. And could you please introduce yourself? Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here talking to you both today. Um, a little bit about me. I've My experience spans across a few different industries, but in the last six years or so, I've been more focused in on small businesses within the United States. I started out helping them with their payroll benefits, HR needs, and more recently focusing on helping them build out their sty- cybersecurity programs. That's a, that's a pretty interesting transition. How'd you go from HR to cyber? Um, yeah, it is an interesting transition. Um, I, I don't know if I have a good answer for that. I guess I was ready to leave where I was. <laughs> Why did most people leave jobs, right? Yeah. <laughs> and your sister also is at Conquest. Did yes. she kind of give you the intro into? Yes. Yeah. So I work for Conquest Cyber now, obviously, but I run the joint venture, uh, for squadron services. Um, and my sister has worked here with Jeff for quite a while now. Um, and she gave me a call. It was actually Christmas Eve. She had been trying to recruit me for about six months and I kept saying no. Um, but then she called me on Christmas Eve and was like, you know, we're opening an office in Nashville. You have to go. I think you just need to talk to some people at the company and, you know, just see how you feel. So wait, can I interject here? Wasn't she wanting to originally hire you for my position? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. And then that would have been terrible. (laughs) Would not have worked at all. That was that was my exact thought when yeah. she told me. I think that was quickly realized. Um, <laughs> just learning about what my experience was and how Jeff, I think it was your idea um, to bring me on to run the joint venture. You thought that looking at my I experience, don't, was I don't better have any ideas. That. That, yeah, that doesn't sound like me at all. It sounds actually just like him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, what have you uh, now that you've made this transition? You know, HR into cyber. Yeah, what have you learned about the environment that you would have uh, wished you knew walking into it? Yeah, I mean, small businesses, they, I, you know, I feel very passionately about them. I think, you know, they're very important to, you know, what, how the United States defines itself today. Um, but the thing about them is they are... They're small. They don't have, they don't have, typically, you know, working with their payroll benefits and HR needs, I was always working with the owner and now of the company. And now with cybersecurity, I'm still very typically working with the owner of the company. They don't have teams built out to handle these different, um, you know, basic needs that they, you know, things that they need to be doing to keep their company afloat Um, and prioritizing getting those line items in the budget for, um, you know, building out those programs that they need. It's just a constant prioritization game for these owners. So, you know, what I really like to do is come in and find a way to let them focus on their business um, and be that expert in whatever field it is that I'm working with and kind of take that off their plate. That's interesting. I'm just in the environment that we're in right now. Has Have you seen a difference between pre-COVID and after COVID now working with small businesses? Has there been a significant difference or is it kind of they've they've just always been, you know, the CEOs kind of running the show? I mean, I think just more stress, obviously, yeah. but I think that spans across many things. Um, I mean, yeah, I think for the most part, it's just stress, resources, employees, find, find, making, right. making sure they're still making money. Lack of funding. Yeah. 
Yeah, I had a, a conversation with the development team uh, a couple of weeks ago now, and I explained to them what my job was as a CEO, and it's really it's just three things, very simple to explain. It's make sure you have the right vision for the organization, build the right team, and not run out of money. Mm-hmm. Right, so anytime you're you're dealing with small businesses, it's a constant calculation of, is this going to cause me to run out of money, right? <laughs> so yeah. How do you address that portion of the conversation and when you're helping them that's literally deciding do I do I pay my vendors, do I pay my employees, or you know, do I pay myself type of calculation? Yeah, I mean it's really comes down to just educating them on whatever it is that, you know, specifically with cybersecurity practices today, it's just educating them on why that why I think they need to be prioritizing whatever it is that I'm speaking to them about. So um, yeah, I think it's just being, you know, it's almost like a consultant or guidance for them being that point of guidance, helping them talk through, you know, you know, I get on the phone with a lot of these owners and they're like, oh, I had no idea I was supposed to be meeting this compliance regulation. Who was supposed to tell me about this? And like, I think you need to be reading the fine print in your contracts. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, just, you know, I think one thing I enjoy about it is being a helping hand, being that guidance, being that educational resource for them so that they can make educated decisions on what they need to be prioritizing. You know, it's funny you mentioned the reading the fine print. So it's what this episode is. It's know your environment, right? And being put in those situations where you haven't really done the research to know exactly what your environment is, Mm -hmm. you're easier to conquer the situation if you, you know the ins and outs of it. So... Which brings me to my first question for both of you. I don't know who wants to go first. But when was that time that you were in a situation you didn't know the environment? And how did that how did that play out? You should go first, Jeff. I can't. I can't follow you. <laughs> You've got to go, Liz. So you can follow me. Um, yeah. So th- it's funny. That's honestly really been a theme of my life. Um, growing up, my family moved just about every two years. Many times that was to a new state. Um, so I was constantly in a new environment, constantly meeting new classmates, uh, meeting new teammates, um, adjusting to a new state, a new way of teaching. You know, it was very, it was a constant new environment. And one th- I actually really enjoyed it. Um, a lot of my siblings hated moving all the time because they didn't like to leave their friends behind or, you know, they didn't want to have to start over in a new place. But I don't know if something was wrong with me or what, but I really liked it. I liked being, you know, discovering a new place, seeing what a new place was like. I liked that I had friends all over the country. Um, and so I tended to look at, I don't know, the bright side of it all. But looking back now as I'm older, I've realized there's actually some cons that came with that, like <laughs> constant uprooting. Um <laughs> But that has that has also transitioned into my adult life. You know, I've worked in offshore wind power. I've worked in the film production industry. I've worked in payroll. I've worked in the restaurant industry. Um, and now I'm in cybersecurity. So, you know, my upbringing has allowed me to assimilate to different situations very quickly. And I've learned to kind of learn my environment and what's happening around me. And then ideally take my unique perspective and then, you know, how I see things are getting done in this new environment to find the best path forward. Um, so, Yeah, like I said, I can't follow Liz, so we can just <laughs> yeah, move on to the, to the next question. No, no, I, no you, are, you are required to answer this question. I am required. I'm wow. technically the host here. You're the sidekick, so. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if I signed up for that. <laughs> so you would think, like, I would be like... Sun Tzu, right? Know your environment, know the enemy, know yourself. And I would give you some cool, like, 
war story. I'm going to tell you about a time when I was in fifth grade and I went to a new school. So I don't know if you guys ever experienced this, if you went to multiple schools, but there is nothing that creates more anxiety in my experience than walking in and not knowing how to navigate the lunchroom in an elementary school. Like, where do you pick up the plate? Which side do you start on? You know, which table are you allowed to sit at? And I saw throughout my, you know, my youth going to different schools, there was no acknowledgement around the anxiety that created in a new student on their first day. They would just go in and be like, free for all. And you'd see kids with their bagged lunch. Why? Because they didn't know how to navigate the lunchroom. So they just told their parents to pack them a lunch. It's not that that was actually their choice. So I went in on, in, in fifth grade, I started the first day. It was in the middle of the semester. And I was in, I was in a place called Wolf Creek, Oregon, uh, and was living with my aunt. And I came in the first day in the middle of the year and they assigned me somebody to like specifically to help me navigate through lunchtime. Like this is the side walked with me. This is the side that you get your plate. These are the things to avoid. If you see that particular lunch lady steer clear of whatever she's serving, Wow! all of those kind of, you know, environmental atmospherics that drastically reduce the anxiety associated to that experience. So that's informed, you know, from that point, many of the things that I think about when I build it out, do I want to create anxiety for people or to see how they react to it? Or do I want to minimize their anxiety? So now that you guys have known me for a while, you realize when I put you in situations that you don't know how to navigate, it's intentional because that particular experience that I had was that, that stark contrast of a little bit of forethought a little bit of understanding of how people are going to respond emotionally. You can see who's going to go in there and sit in the lunchroom and watch things that are happening and then navigate it. The ones who are just going to give up and avoid the potential for embarrassment. You know, those who are just going to kind of blindly go and do it wrong, but it doesn't matter. And that tells you much of what you need to know about people's personalities. If you're going to be on a team with them or if you're going to do, you know, a business endeavor or if you're going to support them. Um, so knowing your environment absolutely critical and i think that if it was not for all the moving that i did growing up like you know like your experience i would not know that about leading and putting people in those uncomfortable positions to see how they react yeah i think you all could have really used me in that time in your life <laughs> as a little girl in the lunchroom like oh hey you don't look like you know what you're doing come on follow me <laughs> oh i would that's, have loved having you around <laughs> yeah that's that's why we have carmen now <laughs> right putting me in uncomfortable positions thriving um <laughs> okay so we've talked a little bit about personal environments what about from a small business perspective liz what is what is what do you see in that situation um especially within the defense industrial base what environment are they facing right now yeah um so honestly i think this relates back to jeff's book all the war they want and how jeff describes you know the compliance maturity and effectiveness way of measuring a company's uh, cybersecurity posture. So with, you know, with compliance, it's what is a company doing today? Maturity, it's what is a company doing every day? And then effectiveness, how well is what they're doing working? Um, I think, Jeff, you talk about in the book how some companies today are meeting potentially the maturity phase of that, but most are living in the compliance phase. And I think with small businesses within the defense industrial base, they're barely meeting the compliance phase of, you know, knowing what they should be doing today or just even doing anything today. Um, 
you know, I was speaking to a woman last week who owns a construction company. She's owned this company for the last 40 years in the DOD space. And, uh, you know, I mentioned her earlier, but she's had never heard of any of these compliance programs. And she was literally asked, where am I supposed to find this information or who's supposed to tell me this? Um, another man I've been speaking with, he uh, he's a vice president at an engineering company in the DOD space. And, um, you know, he let me know he's he's been tasked with figuring out how they're going to meet different compliance regulations that they need to be meeting. Um, but he let me know very clearly that he doesn't care about cybersecurity at, at all. Um, and I do think that it is just an overall lack of education in the space. Um, I don't think people realize um, what it means to be compliant, to keep their business compliant and protect their information. I do think that the current events today are changing that. People are maybe realizing um, that there's more that they should be doing to not just protect their business, but protect our nation. Um, you know, we haven't really seen cyber warfare being talked about um, in the way that we're seeing it talked about today. And it's right. not that it hasn't been there, but it's just being talked about. Yeah, I mean, unless you're focused on this field, especially in the early stages of business, I mean, I have I have a lot of perspective, I guess. I wouldn't say necessarily empathy, but I have perspective on it. Yeah, having taken a business from just being me you know, to where where it is today, and yeah, there's a, a story that one of our, uh, yeah, one of the founders of our parent company told me. And it's like when there was this older accountant when he first started the business, you know, and, and he walked in, you know, to this accountant and they were talking and he told them where the business was at that point and they were still doing a lot of the work themselves. And he looked at the desk and he said, There are two drawers in the desk. There's, you know, things that you need to pay. And invoices you need to send. And all you need to focus on is sticking those receipts in in the right drawer at this stage of the business. You know, it's all about can you make profit? You know, and if you have to take that profit and do all of the things that build a mature business, you know, the onboarding process for employees, you know, making sure that they have that all that clarity and somebody that's assigned to them to walk them through their lunchroom, you know, an employee handbook, a cybersecurity program, an advanced, you know, enterprise resource planning tool, all of those things at, at that stage of the business, if you, it's overloading, it's almost like putting, you know, foot, you know, football pads and a helmet on a two-year-old. Sure, that may, the two-year-old may grow up to be Tom Brady, but if you throw them in there with 300-pound linemen that day, they're going to get their clock cleaned. So I, th I, I think about that constantly of the, the level of protection that small businesses need because they are you know, a significant target, and there are hundreds of thousands of them in relation to what they need in the, you know, the, the, the hierarchy, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, you want you know, delicious food that you're not allergic to. Right, but if, you, but if you can't breathe, it doesn't matter. This is really yeah. heavy on Jeff's heart right now. Yeah, yeah that's another thing that uh, somebody tells me is like, "Yeah, you survived four years in combat, but you're going to get killed by cheese." Yeah. Um, but that that hierarchy of needs is something that is is not conceptual to a small business owner. Mm -hmm. You know, it's something that they live, eat, and breathe every day. If they can't pay their employees, they can't deliver for their clients. If they can't get more clients, they go out of business. Uh, and it's a, it takes a lot of courage to to start a small business and a lot of grit to run one. And that balance of, do I think that the government is really going to come after a 50-person company because of the failure to comply 
with NIST 800-171 versus I know that I'm not going to be able to pay my employees if the cre- if the bank decides to to call me on my loan. Yeah. So Jeff, could you actually speak to that a little bit? Um, the compliance aspect, just so you know, viewers can can get a grasp on that. I know I've heard you say a million times, compliance is a pit stop versus a destination. What do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, compliance. You know, is a, I have lots of sayings, and the people who are around me know. But yes. essentially, <laughs> I'll give you a, a pilot analogy. Uh, when I was learning to fly, run, I was already running the, you know, the businesses, and yeah, you know, one one of the old timers who was doing a ground lesson, he he, he told me, he's like the the far aim, which is a the manual. It's the it, you know basically the regulations that cover um, being a pilot and the aeronautic information manual. That book is like three inches thick. It's like when I started flying, it was thirty pages. And those pages, those editions, are all the results of blood. Right? People had to die in order to get those additional regulations and that additional information becoming part of the the normal training program to become a pilot. Compliance is the same way, right? It it's almost like a recall with a with a vehicle, right? It's a it's a calculation of how many of these vehicles have to fail. In, you know, in order to have the trade-off be the regulatory compliance burden and the cost associated with that is less than doing the recall. And when you have that type of world of, of trade-offs that are all compliance-based, you basically are accepting getting punched in the mouth first. Uh, that's why I, you know, compliance is a pathway, right? You have to be compliant. Um, that uh, you know avoids you know legal retribution. It avoids the costs associated with um, you know violation of contracts and the risk you take by doing that. But if all you do is what you know compliance drives, then you're three years trailing the broad realization of risk. So essentially, you know, there's three years of bad guys doing bad things before there's time to write it into a compliance regulation. So it's not proactive, and there's no guarantee that after the day that you meet your compliance audit that you're not going to turn off multi-factor authentication or decide that backups become too expensive or, hey, patching is a burden that you don't want to deal with, and then you just revert back to being in an ad hoc world of, you know, um, still being susceptible to whatever the regulatory body comes and tries to take from you but definitely being susceptible to what the bad guys are are learning and doing and adapting every day. So I'll kind of get back to you in a minute, Jeff, on larger companies. But Liz, from a small company perspective, you know, when you are going through that compliance aspect, um, and even like you said, like the lack of resources or just even the knowledge of yeah. knowing how to be compliant, have you ran across in your conversation with people um, a situation where they have been hacked and didn't know what to do about that? Or have you not experienced that yet? And you're just, you know, very ground up companies you're working with. I haven't had a business owner admit that to me. Um, I've guessed based on a few conversations if, you know, they want to move quickly and um, but I do know one of our customers today, they they decided to. Um, jump on, you know, just for them, it was, we really just helped them modernize their, their current security practices, um, literally building out multi-factor authentication for them. Uh, but they decided to do that because one of their friend's businesses were hacked um, and they did not want that happening to them. Um, so, 
Yeah. But like, you know, with what Jeff's saying, I think it's important to remember these these small companies, they don't even necessarily have an IT team. Um, so it's it's literally the business owner who, you know, is very knowledgeable in construction or engineering. They don't know anything about cybersecurity. So um, just providing that guidance for them. Yeah, I was uh, um, in a, a group within someone's um, Outlook environment. And they were, they were specifically a, a VA and DOD contractor. And uh, somebody had compromised their, their Microsoft account. And they set up a rule that responses to that email would immediately go to a folder um, that they had created. So the way that this business owner realized that every single one of their customers, every single one of their partners, every single one of their prospects had gotten um, essentially fished from their production account was that I picked up the phone and called them and told them that. So you imagine the, the reputational damage. You know, I don't know how much further the access went, whether they had their credentials to be able to go into you know, their SharePoint environment or what, and, you know, steal their contract data or, or what they were able to, um, perform based off of the fish that came from a legitimate account. But, uh, you know, the reputational damage and, and the embarrassments, especially since they profess to be a cybersecurity company. Yeah. That, that's hard, if not impossible to recover recover from. from. Yeah. You can't. And it, and it happened, I've actually seen that happen three times that specific type of attack with defense contractors, you know, and small businesses. Um, okay. So I know we're wrapping up here on time, but Liz, do you have any, anything you'd like to say to these small businesses or just any piece of advice, honestly? Cause I think a lot of people are really just kind of getting to like, Oh, cybersecurity, that's a thing that does affect me. This is an issue. And unfortunately it's, you know, been, kind of the aftermath and duration of Russia, Ukraine, what's going on. But do you have anything you'd like to say, add advice? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, for for small businesses, it's really just getting started. Um, I don't, you know, I think, you know, when you join a new industry, it's a whole new set of acronyms, a whole new language that you basically need to learn. And I think for them to remember that they don't necessarily need to dive fully into it, there are resources out there to help them. Um, so just getting started and learning maybe what compliance regulations you should be meeting today. All right, Jeff, any closing thoughts? I think the general consensus across small businesses is, you know, they're in that hierarchy of needs world and, you know, if they get attacked or they get sued and they're in the wrong, like they're like, this is, we're going to fold up shop, right? Um, there's no board of directors or thousands of uh, of shareholders that are driving them to have to navigate through it. So there's a, a, a risk trade-off, you know, does, you know, a Russian APT or Chinese APT even know that I exist? And the reality is, yeah, they do. They, they know who makes up the defense industrial base, who has access to what contracts, who's subcontracting to, you know, one of the primes on a, you know, on a construction project that requires them to have access to plans. All of that ties into you, you are likely to be attacked and they know that you probably don't have the capacity to effectively defend. So to the extent you can gain access through that mechanism, you, you're, you're a real part of our attack surface. Excuse you. (laughs) (laughs) 
again, <laughs> cough, not a sneeze. I know. I said bless you last time, and you said nope. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think that wraps this episode up. Thank you, Liz Nurse, for joining us, and Jeff, as always. Um, I appreciate both your time. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. Please join us next time. Bradley Barnes will be speaking on Know the Enemy. Cheers, everyone. Thanks, Carmen.